Hey besties, it's Juju, KP and TT. Tools down, time to chat work, life, well-being and relationships. And you're listening to Let's Take It Offline. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Take It Offline. It's Jules here. Before we get started, if you've enjoyed listening to us, please don't forget to rate, subscribe and follow us on our socials. We have a pretty serious topic today. We're chatting about all things fertility. I mean, it's really regardless of where you are in your journey. Perhaps you are doing this alone, power to you, or maybe you're preparing yourself for your future, like me. Maybe you are at the stage where you're with your partner, uh, you wanna understand your options. For example, I'm actually getting a little bit closer to 40, so I wanted to understand how much time I have to travel the world before I seriously consider babies. It doesn't matter where you are, we hope that this episode will help you begin your journey understand the process things you need to consider budget finances and so forth but without further ado we have a very special guest joining us today it's dr raywin tierney raywin is actually my fertility doctor and she's been kind enough to actually join us for this episode she works at ivf australia ray Do you want to give everyone a quick introduction about you and why you chose to be a fertility doctor? Yeah, well, um, as you said, Julie, my name's Dr. Raywin Tierney. I'm a um, fertility specialist and gynecologist, and I've actually been very lucky to help, you know, thousands of couples conceive. Um, I initially went in as an obstetrician, trained as an obstetrician gynecologist, and it was really because, you know, I'm very pro-woman, bit of a feminist, you know, I've always been interested in female health um, and, you know, being proactive and supporting women. And then over my training, I just loved the area of what we call reproductive medicine and helping couples conceive. And I'm someone who unfortunately, you know, put my fertility on hold during my training and I never had that opportunity to be a mum and didn't meet my partner until, you know, much later and I was really too old to have children. And so I suppose it kind of led me more into fertility and helping women and couples conceive a family. And I think that's really where my passion lies is, you know, demystifying that fertility journey for people, trying to empower women and couples, you know, to look at their myriad of options for conception. Um, and, you know, just giving couples and women support uh, in what their future is in terms of parenthood. So I've probably been working in this area now of reproductive medicine and infertility for over 25 years. Oh, and wow. I think I've made, probably made about or delivered at least 5,000 babies and oh, wow. uh, probably helped <laughs> over 5,000 couples conceive. But uh, yeah, and I just, I just love what I do. I'm really passionate about it and, you know, I really just, my whole idea is to help demystify everything for couples mm. and try because it's really stressful and mm. overwhelming and it's all about reducing that overwhelm. And so that led me into this area of um, fertility and IVF. 
Yeah, that that's fantastic. I mean, it's really great to hear your story. I heard it when I first went in and to give you all a bit of context into my journey, I am 36. So I was looking to get a bit of guidance on A, what my options were and B, we all are fearful of this body clock. How long do I have and what are the chances? Essentially understand my timeframes of the best time, not so much that it's not possible later, just more what is the best time and what does that process look like for me and what are some of the things that I need to start thinking about if this is what I truly want. So Dr. Tierney's really helped me through that process. So I'm really grateful that she's actually making time to talk to us today. So my sort of journey, I think I'm only at the very beginning of it as well, Raywin. So I'm in my early 30s now and I'm starting to think about egg freezing for example because as Jules said before you know these days women just have so many opportunities in terms of career in terms of life journey what we do and then at at the same time we still want to you know have the best chance of growing a healthy and happy family later so that's that's where I've, I've become quite curious about this area and I have friends who have done this before and also didn't realize how how common it is for people to go through IVF I've talked to quite a few people at work who's gone through that process so I'm just at the very beginning I'm keen to learn more about like you know as much as I can because I'm actually considering do, doing it next year can you tell us a bit more about where do we start like if I'm yes what will be the steps I should take now? Okay, yes. Well, look, just to briefly discuss for all you lovely ladies out there, for us women, okay, we have a biological clock. Unfortunately, we have this biological clock compared to men who just produce sperm all the time. However, us women, we are born with all our eggs we'll ever have and we use them up over time and then go through menopause. And of course, as we're aging, our eggs are aging as well as depleting in number. These are really important conversations we've got to have with ourselves and our partners for the future about when you want to be a mum. You know, it's about potential motherhood. And so female age is the most important. The earlier people become mothers, the easier it is. As we age and our eggs are aging, it can or may become more difficult to conceive. Sometimes it's just good to know where you are in your fertility. It's not perfect, but we can do certain fertility tests that will give us an idea about your egg numbers. It won't tell Mm -hmm. us about egg quality, but it can tell us about egg numbers and you can, you know, you do this test with your family doctor or a fertility specialist. And that test is called the anti-malarian hormone test. It's a blood test that picks up a hormone made by your eggs. And that would be the first start would be to go and get tested. It's called the egg timer test. That's what some people call it. Um, and also a pelvic scan. And the pelvic scan is looking at your ovaries, your uterus. It's just checking out that all your anatomy down in the pelvis is okay and we can also look at your egg numbers by looking at your ovaries and the follicles that are there. It's not perfect but it's the best test that we have and at the same time just even going and getting you know just looking after yourself and getting like a sexually transmitted disease test you know getting the normal tests like for hep B, C, HIV, checking for chlamydia and gonorrhea and even you know making sure you're up to date on the pap smears. But doing all those woman checks are really important. I think you should start there. 
and for women out there listening, they should be starting there, looking at mm-hmm. their fertility and having a think about when do you want to be a mum. And it is good to have this sort of pre-pregnancy thinking and planning. And the reason being is potentially if you're not ready to be a mum, and even if you don't have a partner or you might have a partner, there is always that opportunity of egg freezing where you're putting yeah. your eggs, storing your eggs on ice for future use. What's that process like then once you've frozen your eggs, uh, Raywin? So once you've frozen your eggs and then in the future when you decide that you want to settle down, have a partner, and then you're ready to start the pregnancy journey, how does that look like then? For, well, firstly, the process is to freeze your eggs, and this is an IVF treatment which takes about two weeks to grow women's eggs, and so it involves having daily hormone injections to grow your eggs, and you're monitored, and then two weeks later, the eggs are removed, and it's a surgical procedure that takes about half an hour, and then these eggs are frozen, and we freeze them very quickly. It's called vitrification. And they can stay frozen for many, many years. And then when women are ready to use their eggs, firstly, when women are ready to have a baby, they may not need to go back and use their eggs. However, it gives them the opportunity that if there's any difficulty in conceiving because you're a bit older, you can always go back and use those eggs that you froze at that time when you were younger. And so remember, for all us women, our age is the most important. And ideally, the age of freezing your eggs uh, will determine that chance of getting pregnant if you ever go back to using those eggs. And the best age is really from 35 years and under. So I hope I've answered your question there. Yeah, absolutely. When I went through my journey, I was also told that freezing your eggs it is not an insurance policy and just want to kind of put it out there for our listeners is that it isn't because there there is also the chance that your eggs may not take later when you thaw them so Raywin can you talk a little bit about the thawing process the chances of success there so you're you're right women shouldn't look at it as um, it'll give them a hundred percent guarantee of having a child from eggs that are frozen and not to consider it as you know absolute insurance for motherhood later it's just sort of an option that women can use potentially so what this is what the success is Um, ideally we like to have about 10 eggs frozen because not every egg will end up being an embryo and Mm. not every embryo will end up you know as a baby and so What happens when you come to use those frozen eggs? Let's say there are 10 eggs that are frozen. When we thaw them, around about eight of those eggs or 80% will survive. And then when we go and put them with sperm to fertilize them, again, there'll be about 80% of those survived eggs will fertilize. So we go down from eight eggs down to possibly six that are fertilized, and then we grow those fertilized eggs onto embryos. And again, when we grow the fertilized eggs onto embryos, over half will die. And this is part of normal human reproduction. It happens with fresh eggs as well. And so of 10 eggs, we might only get one or two embryos. And of that, the chance of conceiving would be around about 35% per 
embryo put back to the uterus. The chances for each embryo that goes back into the uterus from a frozen egg is about 35%. But of course, if you're freezing eggs under 35, we say we'd like maybe 10 eggs. But if you're someone who's older, just say you're 38, we'd like even more eggs because as we age, our eggs are deteriorating. Possibly having 15 eggs would end up with one embryo potentially to go back to the uterus. And if you're 42, we'd like something like 30 or 40 eggs. So you can see the older woman, uh, when they freeze eggs, the more eggs we need to give some sort of outcome to improve their chance of getting pregnant. But it's not 100%. All right, it's not a guarantee. Um, however, it's one of, the, and one of these options that we have available for women who are not quite ready for motherhood yet or, you know, still haven't met that special person. Yeah, just on that point, Dr. Rowan, I think that's the exact position I'm in. I, I'm a little a couple of years younger than the other two ladies and I really haven't thought about motherhood yet. Yeah. Is there something as starting too early or is it really the earlier the better? Good question. We are designed as women. So just remember this for all women. We are designed really to be mothers in our 20s and probably early 30s. And, you know, 20, 30 years ago, women were having children much younger and less likely to be having children in their 40s. But things are changing now with lifestyle and, you know, and there are more choices as well. In a way, scientifically, the younger, the better. That's true. If you're freezing your, your eggs, say, at 20, certainly those quality eggs will be better than if you were freezing your eggs at 30. However, we don't want women coming and freezing their eggs at 20. Um, women should be thinking about university or whatever they're doing for their work. But we do recommend that certainly the younger, the better. So I would say, you know, around in your late 20s, possibly early 30s would be ideal. Get cracking, okay. KP. <laughs> I know, that's right. Yeah. Well, don't do what I did. <laughs> Reassurance, it's not too late. I know. It's not too late. <laughs> Look, I mean, when I was your age, ladies, you know, I was, um, I was, had just finished med school. I was a young doctor, you know, I was in my training as an obstetrician gynecologist. And the last thing on my mind was motherhood. I can assure mm. you, I didn't have a partner in my early 30s. However, I think when I think back now that because I'm not a mother, although I'm a stepmom, which I absolutely love. I really wish I'd had eggs on ice if there was ever that opportunity, but we didn't have it back then. So I think that's kind of one of my regrets is not starting earlier. This is just in hindsight. But you're like the fairy godmother Raymond to 5,000 babies. I am, and that's right. <laughs> that's amazing. Yes, I'm <laughs> if someone was to go through the egg freezing sort of cycle, do you see success? within the first round or do you think it's usually like a couple of rounds and to, to get the number of eggs that you would like to see and you know also around yep. the viability of the eggs as well yes ideally you want just one round ideally you want one round of IVF where you can collect all those eggs just once occasionally you need to do a, a few rounds because women may have very low ovarian reserve so some women come through who I see who have got low egg numbers 
and you know are not ready to be a mum yet and we know that these women are going to be going through earlier menopause so sometimes these women need to go and have two or three rounds of IVF to build up what we call the egg bank. Everyone's different. Most women I would say that I see only require one round. I'm just going to quickly share my side because I was actually really shocked going through this process and my results as much as I'm only 36 and I'm happy to share this, right? My egg count came back a lot lower than for someone at 36 and where it should be. It kind of gave me a different perspective on some of the things that I need to think about. And to Raywin's point, I'm probably going to menopause earlier. It just, yeah, it just helped me kind of think about what are some of the things that I really need to address if this is really what I want to do. I I have a question regarding the process. I've recently saw, watched someone go through this, really underestimated what they had to do in terms of the prep before the egg extraction, whether it's IVF or egg, egg freezing. Could you tell us a bit about what we should expect if we decide to go through this process? Like, are there certain diets or foods that we can't eat or hormone injections that we require? Is there any prep required, like, beforehand? So egg quality is very important. And if, if it's IVF where we're using your partner as well, obviously it's both you and your partner to have a good, healthy lifestyle to help improve egg and sperm quality. So yes, diet, not smoking or cutting back on smoking if you can is also important. Reducing alcohol right down. And I think just cutting out things like processed foods, fatty foods, and eating the more Mediterranean-type diet, we know that helps improve. Well, we think that helps improve the quality because pregnancy rates are higher in couples undertaking IVF treatment. So a good diet, like the Mediterranean diet, will make a difference. Some women who have low egg numbers, we do actually put them on things like coenzyme Q10 and high-dose antioxidants. Uh, There is some sort of um, association with improving the egg quality when you're on these high-dose antioxidants. And this is all based on animal studies. So I get my ladies to go on these medications. Obviously, mm. we need to do tests on, on you. We test for, you know, all the screening tests, Hep B, Hep C, HIV. We make sure you've got immunity to chickenpox and German measles. We make sure you're not anemic. We just check your thyroid function, iron levels, all of that. Cause it's all It's about your whole health. Yeah. Is there any correlation between whether someone is taking contraceptive pills or having like an IUD inserted to their chances of getting more eggs or having more of that chance of of getting healthy eggs? Yep. Well, the the pill won't, will do, well, neither actually. So both the IUD and the pill um, has no effect on quality of eggs or even the number of eggs. When you're on the pill, the pill just quietens a woman's ovary down. It doesn't stop eggs from dying over time. And same with the IUD. Okay, or the amount of eggs that we would retrieve. 
at um, egg collection. So um, I get my I get my ladies to stay on their contraception. Ah, brilliant. For the ladies out there, you don't have to stop contraception if you are looking on, you know, planning on egg freezing or going through IVF. Raywen, I've got a question around the process still as well. One of the things that we checked for when I was going through this was polyps and I'm going to butcher this, endometriosis. Yes, correct. That's right. That, and that is part of the fertility workup that uh, woman needs. So part of the ultrasound, so when women come through, we're looking at your hormones, um, looking at that AMH test, uh, doing all the sort of the STD type testing on you. But what the pelvic scan, what we check for is we're making sure that there's no cysts in your ovary. We check for a condition called endometriosis, where um, and what endometriosis is is when you bleed. So the lining that's lining the uterus and bleeds every month, that can sometimes be found outside the uterus, inside the ovary, and in the pelvis, and can lead to infertility and pelvic pain. What a pelvic scan does, it's checking for endometriosis as well. And it can check for other structures like fibroids or polyps that are benign sort of lumps, growths that are in the uterus. And it's important to know all this because polyps can stop an embryo from implanting into the uterus. And fibroids sometimes, depending on their size, can obviously increase bleeding, making bleeding heavier and making periods more painful as well. So no, that's right, Jules. We we would be looking at all of that as well for other sort of conditions that can affect a woman's fertility. What about, I think a lot of people and, and different people might have different experiences. I've spoken to a few friends who's gone through the egg freezing process, Raywin, and yep. some of them seem to be completely fine. And then others might be a bit affected by the hormones and also in terms of what they can and cannot do after before and after the procedure can you talk a bit about that yes and so when it comes to egg freezing we need to give women hormone injections called follicle stimulating hormone or fsh for short and it's a basically it's about a 10 day to 12 day treatment where women are taking these daily injections and everyone can vary um, some women will feel very hormonal and up and down and quite emotional and some you'll feel bloated so there's that real bloating feeling as well that you know because your ovaries are getting larger many of my ladies say they feel extremely tired and this is probably another sort of factor when you're going through this treatment you know you just need to nurture yourself a bit more so it can be exhausting you know emotionally exhausting as well as physically, you know, exhausting because you're feeling more bloated, you're more tired. Most women don't tend to be nauseous at all, but sometimes afterwards, after the egg collection, they can feel a bit nauseous. But we give women hormones to the lead up before taking the eggs out. And then on the day of removing the eggs, afterwards, it doesn't take long to remove the eggs. It's all done vaginally with a thin needle that goes through the vaginal wall into the ovary to take out the eggs. But afterwards, women will feel a bit crampy. So it's a little bit like period pain. And we recommend that, you know, we give them neurofin or napogesic to help reduce that sort of period type pain. And over time, it settles down. But, you know, it's still a big process to do. And it's still an emotional process to do as well. 
Yeah, definitely something to consider. We've been talking about egg freezing, but I believe that if you also have a partner involved in the process, you can also freeze embryos instead of eggs. That's right. Yes, there is a partner as well. So we test the partner. It's a sperm test and also STD screening. We can actually, when we remove eggs, we can fertilize those eggs to create embryos and freeze embryos. And now the, one of the benefits of doing that over egg freezing is that if we get to an egg fertilizing and then becoming an embryo, which we grow for five days, and by that stage it's 100 cells around about, and then we freeze it for future use. And you can see, compare it to getting to second or third base. Freezing eggs, you've got to first base. We know we've got eggs on ice, but if an egg is fertilized and creates an embryo, then the chance of getting pregnant is even higher. And it's shown that that egg has managed to fertilize to produce this embryo. And embryos survive very well when we freeze them and then thaw them. Mm. Couples who may be looking at putting their fertility on ice, if you want to put it like that, we can freeze eggs, but we can also fertilize eggs as well to create embryos and freeze those embryos for future use. This, yeah. is, this is my recommendation for my ladies. When there is a couple, I still recommend to women that they should still have some eggs on ice, not just you know, create embryos and just freeze embryos and nothing else. And the reason for that is hopefully couples will stay together and then eventually come and use those embryos. But if people break up, just say relationships break up, then, and there's embryos frozen, then that woman may not be able to use her embryos because he owns half of them and may not give uh, his permission for those embryos to be used. Oh, then it's a legal thing, right? That's That's right. It's a legal aspect. And so there's always that risk that if a relationship breaks up and you only have embryos frozen, then, you know, 10 years down the track, you think, oh, bugger it. You know, I should have frozen my eggs and and not Mm. created embryos. So it's kind of like definitely, yes, it's good to freeze embryos, but also keep some spare eggs there as well. And then I think you talked about like first base is eggs and then you've got embryos kind of like your second base and I think sometimes when couples are together and they decide that they want to have kids like they might have challenging experience with getting pregnant and that's where you start the IVF process is that right that's right so um generally like when if people go and have put their fertility on ice we still say to them look try and get pregnant naturally first and you may Mm -hmm. well and get baby number one but often it can be harder to conceive a second child because we've got older. And as we get older, it's more difficult to conceive naturally. And if that's the case, you can go back and use your frozen eggs or frozen embryos. However, if you're someone who's starting out trying to conceive and you've spent a year trying and you haven't got pregnant, then the next step would be to go and have fertility testing and then to sit down with your fertility specialist and work out a plan as to what's the best way to speed up your chances and reducing your time to conceive. So I hope that's kind of yeah, answered the question. Yeah, you did, 100%. Just one, one more note on that one is 
when couples are, you know, going back to first base and you'll laugh because we actually relate a lot of our topics to dating all the time. So the fact that you said first and second base, Raywin, is brilliant. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. What, what kind of patients are you seeing? Are you seeing majority mm. of really strong, empowered women coming in and, and kicking start this journey on their own? Or are you seeing more couples come through? Because I know a lot of women that actually do go through this process on their own as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. In fact, the demographics is changing. Initially, when I was first starting out, you know, 25 years ago, it was just mainly couples that were coming through wanting to do fertility treatment or put embryos on ice. And slowly we've been progressing through to, I think, more and more women are coming through who are single, who either haven't met a partner yet or yet ready and are putting eggs on ice or going down the donor sperm route. So that is becoming more frequent. And I would say probably 30% of my women I see today uh, are here for either egg freezing or going down looking at donor sperm and doing it on their own. And there are several reasons for that. I mean, I think COVID affected women specifically, you know, it made it harder to get out and meet people and meet, you know, lifetime partners as well. So that's been a huge effect. And also, I'm seeing women who have been in long-term relationships and at the time they weren't ready to either conceive or their partner wasn't ready to conceive and then their relationship's broken up. She's now 36, 37 and thinks, oh my gosh, you know, it's going to take a while to meet someone else and, you know, you can't just meet a bloke and say, give me a baby. <laughs> so, women are coming in more frequently uh, for egg freezing as well. And I'm seeing that or every week I am. And, you know, we're here um, to support women. And I mean, I've got two beautiful stepdaughters. One's 31 years old and the other's 34. They are both single. They are. Mm. And um, I'm sort of having that discussion with them about egg freezing as well just super important right because we we talk a lot about um getting being fulfilled in your life and i guess you know given the opportunities we we have now there's just so many options and so many things that we want to get done before we settle down and have babies but not saying that having a family is not part of that so this is all giving us more of a choice later down the track but i'm just curious raywin what is the, the oldest age you've seen someone come back and and, you know, unfreeze their eggs and mm. successfully do a round of IVF, for example. Yep. Um, yes, I've had many women come back to use their eggs. I think the oldest is a 46-year-old woman who froze her eggs at the age of 38 to come wow. back and use them. Sadly, she did not conceive with those frozen eggs. So, and is now going down the route of donor egg. That's one that didn't work. I've got other women who have come back in their 40s who have frozen their eggs in their 30s and they have got pregnant and I've just popped an embryo into one of my ladies today. She's now age 42 and she froze her eggs at 37 and we've mm. fertilised them and we've also done what's called PGD where we genetically test the embryo and put back a normal embryo and that's third base guys okay <laughs> First Got base that second base is um, creating an embryo that's frozen but third base 
as having a genetically normal embryo because if mm. you put a genetically normal embryo back into a woman, chance of getting pregnant is around 60%. Is, is there a home base? Is that when a baby's born? Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's past the 12-week stage. <laughs> yes, yes. Right. so it's got to the home base. <laughs> I know. Yeah, correct. So I love, I love that analogy that you guys use that for dating as well. <laughs> All the time. Yeah, we do. All the time. I've got a a dating story for you, okay? And to me, I think this is like getting to at least second base because, you know, as a busy doctor, it was hard for us doctors too to go out and meet men and find our lifetime partners. I just decided, you know, when I wanted to put myself out there, the quickest way and perhaps the easiest way, I called it my, you know, the 80-20 rule, was to go out and do speed dating back then. There was no such thing as Tinder or whatever or all those apps. And, you know, you see 10 men in one night. And I thought, gosh, that would take me a whole year or two years to see 10 men and go out and have a quick chat with them or whatever. So I did. I, you know, went and did speed dating and that's where I met my partner. So we've been together now 12 years. So speed dating. Yes, with speed dating. And you get to see these men. You spend about seven to eight minutes with each one. So you get a bit of an idea. Anyway, that was my base too. (laughs) And then, yeah, that's how I met my lovely man, Lou. Can I ask Um, what he did or said out of the 10 and why you went with him? (laughs) Yeah, uh, uh, yes. Firstly, I thought he was drop-dead gorgeous looking. Uh, But um, he did. He talked about... He actually talked about his children and how wonderful his kids were and what they were doing. And, and he was interested in what I was doing and wanted to know more about, you know, the whole medicine and my day-to-day work. So that's what really got me interested in him. And I put his name down. He put my name down. And then the next day, of course, they pair you up and give you each other's mobile number. But, yeah, it was about him talking about his kids. And I thought... He's just a nice, decent man and, um, yeah, and I think he wasn't glamorous. So, you know, he wasn't the one wearing Giorgio Armani suit or anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not all about the clothes they wear. We love that. I thought it was so funny that you said that because Jules actually mentioned something along the line of an Armani suit in a previous episode, so. (laughs) Well, I know, well. Do you know what? It's um, all the women I see who come along for egg freezing, many women who are single say, look, there's just no nice men out there. And I say there are nice men out there. There are. You know, there are nice men. There is hope. There's hope. Exactly. There's, there's some lovely men out there. And I think it's probably going to the right places and talking to men more and delving deeper rather than just looking at the surface, maybe. I'm not sure, but. Anyway, that's, I suppose that would what I'd be saying to all you lovely women listening to this, okay? Think about speed dating and it's safe, okay? It's a safe because you're all in a room together and people that turn up there are committed. They're there because they want to meet someone. I mean, that is so much safer than, you know, like meeting someone through the apps and meeting yes. them by yourself for the first time, right? Because you have you know them, you don't know them from above. So, so. that's right. Don't go to their house. <laughs> no, that's no, that's right. Just go and have a coffee, you know, afterwards once you meet them, 
and if you like each other then go and have a coffee <laughs> and uh yeah anyway look I digress yeah talking about considerations not only where to meet people but um on the topic of fertility doing egg freezing what are the costs also that are associated with this like if there is a large amount of upfront cost we'll need to think about yeah. budgeting for it and starting to think about the financial impact would be. Yeah, look, it is costly. We are very lucky in Australia that um, if there's a medical reason to freeze eggs, so if there's a medical reason for egg freezing, then Medicare will support that and pay half. So that's one of the benefits. So one of the reasons why we do fertility testing and looking at AMH is because we're looking to see if there's a medical reason. And one of the medical reasons might be that you're at risk of undergoing an earlier menopause. So you could be at risk for if you're someone who's had endometriosis surgery. So you're someone who's more at risk of ovarian failure earlier than you know going into menopause at 50. And these are women who might have a family history of early menopause, who might have autoimmune disease, uh, who might have have repeated surgery for endometriosis or ovarian cysts because every time you operate on the ovary, it kills off eggs. And so Medicare will help support that financially. However, if there's not a medical reason to preserve your fertility, then it means it's got to come out of your pocket completely 100%. And the costing when it comes out of your own pocket would be around the total of about $12,000. So that's a lot of money, it is. Um, with Medicare kicking in, uh, that subsidizes the hormones and also the whole process. And women would be out of pocket about $5,000 rather than $12,000. So it's yeah. costly. And These are considerations that women need to think about and plan for. Yeah. And if um, someone is just curious about dipping their toes in the process a little bit, but not necessarily going all the way to first base, yep. and so they just want to get their fertility test done, is that something that is covered by Medicare and you can do through a bulk, a bulk GP? Yes, it is. So Medicare will help with that and for fertility testing because that's just still a medical reason you know you've come to test you know something that could be a possible medical problem so having blood tests um, a bulk build however the hormone test called the anti-malarian hormone the amh egg timer test there is no medicare for that and that is about 80 dollars for women obviously there'll be some cost to see a doctor to get all that done Medicare will pay some of it back. The pelvic scan, there's a cost for that. Medicare will probably pay half of that, but women would probably be out of pocket maybe $150 after Medicare. So yes, Medicare does help support the, that testing, but you'd still be out of pocket a wee bit, you would. I think another thing also for those that aren't necessarily going through it but have a partner, that is, what are certain things that they could do to help support their partner more going through mm, this process? Yeah, I think just, yeah, that, that's common, that is. And I think it's just giving them lots of TLC, being there at, at when they're having their consultation with the doctor, being there 
when there's a scan being there, when they get sort of follow-up results, um, you know, because sometimes it can be difficult news to discuss and it's good for the partner to be involved to have that conversation as well. And I think if women go down the route and start doing the IVF process with hormone injections, it's good for the partner to know all that as well and be there. Sometimes it's actually the partner that's doing the hormone injections for them. And I think, you know, I just say to them, give your partner lots of TLC, make them cups of tea and cook them dinner. And you'll, they'll be very thankful for that. <laughs> so, yeah. yes. It's simple things. It is the simple things, just those simple nurturing things. Lots of hugs as well. I'm a huggy person. I like hugging people. So, <laughs> and give them a hug. For the ladies doing it um, by themselves, yeah, I think there's that stress that, you know, I, I guess expected in terms of going through. It, it is a big decision and it is a big process. Well, not not in the point that it's too invasive. It's more like a big decision, a big part of your life. So do you have any advice around the mindset and how to be well prepared mentally and emotionally before we start this process? Yeah, I would recommend um, women firstly get all the correct information. If they have all the information, they can make a far better informed decision as to obviously whether they want to do this and when to start. To have what's called an orientation, and this is where women, we sit down with them for about 40 minutes and we teach them and go through everything. And so have, you know, questions written down so that you can ask your fertility doctor or fertility nurse as well. I think it's also important that uh, when you go and do this, that you're with a team or a company, wherever you go, whether it's in Australia or elsewhere in the world, Make sure that there's a team of people like nurses, doctor, scientists that um, that you have. Most clinics will have that because it's just good so that you can talk daily sometimes or if you need just to pick up the phone and ring the nurse or you know speak to your doctor, you can. That's really important. Just for feedback, if you're not feeling well, be prepared to feel like you're going to be a bit bloated understand that you will feel tired and allow yourself to have nana naps you know a little you know sleep or siesta and that's okay give a two week when you know you're doing those two weeks of hormone injections I think just make sure that you're not going to be uber busy that week or two weeks with work you can still go to work but yeah you don't want to be too hectic you don't want to be racing around during that time with 10,000 different things doing, just really sort of set that time aside where you're just sort of, you know, you're working a bit slower. My advice actually is to always tell your mum. And the mothers are important and most mothers would be there to support you, give you hugs and even tell your girlfriends as well if you're on your, you know, doing it on your own. Um, And they'll come over, you know, and look after you and pamper you a bit give you a cup of tea or whatever it might be. I think probably doing that. And finally, even if there's a bit of anxiety, you know, because it's common to feel anxious about all this when you're going through, you know, gentle exercise is fine when you're doing this treatment. Going out for that walk, um, even meditation is really good, okay, and breathing exercises. They actually all do help. 
And not only that, we have it here at our IVF Australia, but many fertility units around the world have it too. They all have what we call counsellors. And they help our women go through, you know, when they're having their IVF process, they give them strategies as to, you know, what to do when they're feeling like this. And the strategy is really good if you're feeling tired or if you're feeling overwhelmed. Mm. And so most IVF clinics will have these people there as well to help them. Yeah, so it's like a, it's a very holistic approach in terms it of is. looking after yourself physically, emotionally, and give give yourself a sort of nurturing environment where you have the best chance of going through the process in a way that, you know, even though it's stressful in the body, you have enough support around you. Exactly, um, yeah, getting that support around you. Yeah, is there a, a time in your sort of monthly menstrual cycle that will be optimal for that process, Raywin? Yes, well, whenever we start an IVF process to grow eggs and remove eggs, we always start with a woman's period. So it always begins with day one of her menstrual period. And for the next two weeks, that is when the hormone injections are happening and we're monitoring her with blood tests and scans. And so you would be letting your, but your your IVF team will be doing that timeline with you and giving you an idea when you'll be starting and when egg collection would be happening so that you can plan anyway and plan that two weeks with work. So I think even like a month before to kind of know beforehand that these these are the days that it's going to happen so you can be prepared. Yeah. And last question. I know you've been so generous in giving us the time to go through so many questions. So you work at IVF Australia and of course there are many clinics out there that will be able to help women with this process do you have any advice around finding the right clinic for you is there anything like chemistry between the fertility specialists and and the person going through the process so you kind of want to speed date a little bit and find out which <laughs> clinic is right yes yeah, speed dating with fertility <laughs> clinics I love that that's a, that's a great concept I think you know at the end of the day it's about the, I think it's about the relationship that you'll have with your fertility specialist that's what I truly think it's about that relationship and if you you know make an appointment with a fertility specialist but if you have a good relationship and you like that person I think to go with that person that's what I think most I think a lot of laboratories are pretty similar a lot of the very large laboratories compared to the smaller laboratories have the more resources if that makes sense greater resources and spend a lot more money on their R&D their research and development would probably have maybe slightly better signs but I can't really say too much around that but I think it's more about the relationship that you have and feel with your fertility specialist, to be honest. I can attest because I actually went to a couple of different clinics before I landed at IVF Australia. And so, yeah, completely agree. It is a little bit like dating. You want to go through and, and as I say with psychologists rather, vibe check everyone because yeah, this is a pretty, <laughs> it's, a, it's an emotional journey and you want the right person to hold your hand through the process, right? So I think that's really key and really important. Yeah, it is. It is. Dr. Raywin Tierney, thank you so much. We 
absolutely appreciate the time you've given us. Today's episode has been very insightful, not just for me, but I'm sure for our listeners as well. For me in the sense that I haven't spoken, I was only, I wasn't even at first base with you. I was only at like, you know, the the kind of informational stage. So I haven't gotten to that first base, but yes. I think all, all of the key things that you've, you know, recommended and commented on around the questions has really given me a lot to think about too and I hope that it's really insightful for a lot of our listeners out there and everyone's got a lot of things to think about I can already see TT and KP thinking about what that's going to look like for, for them we'll put all the links and everything we've discussed in the show notes we'll also put a link to Dr. Raywan Tierney and where you can find her if you were interested to go and see her she's amazing I promise that she will look after you and make you feel at ease just like how I felt and and you can have all all of her details and you can absolutely reach out to her. Raywen, thank you so much. I think that you've done an awesome job and I'm sure you'll see us and me, I guess, very soon. No, look, thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a delight. If you have loved today's episode, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating, like and subscribe and leave us a comment on our socials. Also, tell us what topics you want to know more about. But bye for now. You've been listening to Let's Let's Take Take It It Offline. Offline.